Listen, Martland, I said evenly. If I had lifted that Goya, or fenced it, you can't really think that I'd bring it here in its frame, for God's sake, and then burn the frame in my own grate. I mean, I, I'm not a dullard, am I? He made embarrassed, protesting noises, as though nothing was further from his thoughts than the princely Goya, whose theft from Madrid had filled the newspapers for the past five days. He helped out the noises by flapping his hands a bit, slopping some of the alleged wine onto a nearby rug. That, I said crisply, is a valuable Savonnerie rug. Port is bad for it. Moreover, there's probably a priceless old master cunningly concealed beneath it. Port would be very bad for that. He leered at me nastily, knowing that I was quite possibly telling the truth. I leered back coyly, knowing that I was telling the truth. From the shadows beyond the doorway, my thug Jock was smiling his civilest smile. We were all happy to the casual eye, had there been such an eye on the premises. At this stage, before anyone starts to think that Martland is, or was, an ineffectual neddy, I'd better fill in a bit of background. You doubtless know that, except under very extraordinary circumstances, English policemen never carry any weapon but the old punch-and-judy wooden truncheon. You know, too, that they never, never resort to physical unkindness. They dare not even spank the bottoms of little boys caught scrumping apples nowadays, for fear of assault charges and official inquiries and Amnesty International. You know all this for certain because you've never heard of the Special Powers Group, SPG, which is a peculiar kind of outsider police squad conjured up by the Home Office during a fit of fact-facing in the weeks following the Great Train Robbery. The SPG was engendered by an ordering council and has something called a sealed mandate from the Home Secretary and one of his more permanent civil servants. It's said to cover five sheets of brief paper and has to be signed afresh every three months. The burden of its song is that only the nicest and most balanced chaps are to be recruited into the SPG, but that once in, they're allowed to get away with murder, to say the least, so long as they get results. There are to be no more great train jobs, even if this entails, perish the thought, bashing a few baddies without first standing them expensive trials. It's saved a fortune in dock briefs already. All the newspapers, even the Australian-known sort, have made a deal with the Home Office whereby they get the stories hot from the septic tank in exchange for sieving out the firearms and torture bit. Charming. The SPG, or Sogpoo, as I've heard it called, needs have no further truck with the civil service except for one horrified little man in the treasury, and its mandate instructs, if you please, instructs commissioners of police to afford them all administrative facilities without disciplinary obligations or clerical formalities. The regular police love that bit, naturally. The SPG is answerable only to the Queen's First Minister through its procurator, who's a belted earl and a privy councillor and hangs about public lavatories late at night. Its actual executive head is a former colonel of paratroops, who was at school with me and has the curious rank of extra-chief superintendent. Very able chap. Name of Martland. Likes hurting people. A lot. He would dearly have liked to hurt me a bit there and then, in an inquiring sort of way, but Jock was hovering outside the door, belching demurely now and then to remind me that he was on call if required. A jock is a sort of anti-Jeeves, silent, resourceful, respectful even, when the mood takes him, 
but sort of drunk all the time, really, and fond of smashing people's faces in. You can't run a fine arts business these days without a thug, and Jock is one of the best in the trade. Well, you know, was. Now, having introduced Jock, his surname escapes me, I should think it would be his mother's, I suppose I'd better give a few facts about myself. I am Charlie Mordecai. I mean, I was actually christened Charlie. I think my mother was perhaps getting at my father in some obscure way. The Mordecai tag I'm very happy with. A touch of ancientry, a hint of jewellery, a whiff of corruption. No collector can resist crossing swords with a dealer called Mordecai, for God's sake. I'm in the prime of life, if that tells you anything, of barely average height, of sadly over-average weight, and am possessed of the intriguing remains of rather flashy good looks. Sometimes, in a subdued light and with my tummy tucked in, I could almost fancy me myself. I like art and money and dirty jokes and drink. I am very successful. I discovered, at my goodish second-rate public school, that almost anyone can win a fight if he's prepared to put his thumb into the other fellow's eye. Most people can't bring themselves to do it. Did you know that? And moreover, I'm an honourable. For my daddy was Bernard, first Baron Mordecai of Silverdale, in the county palatine of Lancaster. He was the second greatest art dealer of the century. He poisoned his life trying to overprice Duveen out of the field. He got his barony ostensibly for giving the nation a third of a million pounds worth of good but unsaleable art, but actually for forgetting something embarrassing he knew about someone. His memoirs are to be published after my brother's death, say about next April, with any luck. I recommend them. Meanwhile, back at the Mordecai bunkhouse, old straw boss Martland was fretting, or pretending to. He's a terrible actor, but then he's pretty terrible when he's not acting. It's often difficult to tell if you follow me. Oh, come on, Charlie, he said petulantly. I gave just enough flicker of the eyebrow to indicate that we had not been at school together all that recently. How do you mean, come on? I asked. I mean, let's stop playing silly buggers. I considered three clever retorts to that one, but found that I couldn't really be bothered. There are times when I'm prepared to bandy words with Martland, but this was one of the other times. And just what, I asked reasonably, do you think I might give you that you think you might want? Any sort of a lead on the Goya job, he said in his defeated Eeyore voice. I raised an icy eyebrow or two. He squirmed a bit. There are diplomatic considerations, you know, he moaned faintly. Yes. I said with some satisfaction. I see how there might be. Just a name or an address, Charlie, or anything, really. You must have heard something. And where would the old Cubono enter in? I asked. Where is the well-known carrot? Or are you leaning on the old-school spirit again? It could buy you a lot of peace and quiet, Charlie, unless, of course, you happen to be in the Goya trade yourself, as a principal. I pondered ostentatiously a while, careful not to seem too eager, thoughtfully guzzling the real Taylor 31, which was inhabiting my glass. All right, I said at last. Middle-aged, rough-spoken chap in the National Gallery, name of Jim Turner. The Martland ballpoint skittered happily over the regulation notebook. Full name, 
he asked briskly. "'James Mallord William.' He started to write it down, then froze, glaring at me evilly. "'1775 to 1851,' I quipped. "'Stole from Goya all the time. "'But then old Goya was a bit of a tea-leaf himself, wasn't he?' "'I have never been so near to getting a knuckle sandwich in my life. "'Luckily for what's left of my patrician profile, "'Jock aptly entered, bearing the television set before him "'like an unabashed, unmarried mum. "'Martland let prudence rule. "'Ah-ha,' he said politely, putting the notebook away. "'Tonight is Wednesday, you see.' I explained. Hmm? Professional wrestling. On the telly. Jock and I never miss it. So many of his friends play. Uh, won't you stay and watch? Good night, said Martland. For nearly an hour, Jock and I regaled ourselves, and the SPG tape recorders, with the grunts and brays of the catchweight kings and the astonishingly lucid commentary of Mr. Kent Walton the only man I can think of who is wholly good at his job. That man is astonishingly lucid, etc., I said to Jock. Yeah, for a minute back there, I thought he'd have had the other bugger's ear off. N no, Jock, not Pallo. Kent Walton. Well, looks like Pallo to me. Never mind, Jock. Okay, Mr. Charlie. It was a splendid programme. All the baddies cheated shamefully. The referee never quite caught them at it, but the good guys always won by a folding press at the last minute. Except in the pallow bout, naturally. So satisfactory. It was satisfactory, too, to think of all the clever young career bobbies who would even then be checking every turner in the National Gallery. There are a great many turners in the National Gallery.